0: You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com.
1: If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony,
2: well, there's nothing you can't last on the Savage Lovecast.
3: It's Tuesday morning. It's the week after Hump, the Tuesday after two solid weeks of porn. I've been hosting Hump, the Pacific Northwest's biggest, best, and only amateur porn festival at On the Boards here in Seattle and at Cinema 21 down there in Portland. Also played at the Capitol Theater in Olympia. So I've been watching porn around the clock for two straight weeks, hosting all the screenings, seeing people, getting selfies taken with people, um, and watching the porn. And Hump is more than just like a shock fest, more than a porn fest. And I don't want to get woo-woo with you about Hump for a second, but I'm going to. Because this is an amazing thing. We watch the audiences while the audiences watch Hump, those of us who are running the event. Because we tell everyone who participates in Hump, which is my amateur porn festival, that is going out on tour again next year. It toured the country in 2014. It is going to tour again in 2015. The best from this year, some of the best from years past, touring again, that tour, Hump 2015, starts January 31st with a screening in Los Angeles. Watch for it. There'll be info at HumpTour.com. But there's this amazing thing that happens at Hump because you are going to watch porn the way nobody watches porn anymore, in a theater, in the dark, sitting next to strangers. That's the first thing that's a little disorienting about the porn experience at Hump. You're watching porn the way your grandparents watched porn, the way your grandparents watched Linda Lovelace and Behind the Green Door. And the devil in Miss Jones, all that. They watched it in dark movie theaters with strangers around. Nobody does that anymore. Porn is now a laptop and a phone thing, not a public thing. Hump is public porn consumption. So it's old school. It's also new school because Hump is everybody all together. At Hump, we've got gay porn. We've got straight porn. We've got trans porn. We've got vanilla porn. We've got kinky porn. We got bi porn. We got. Everything. It's all five-minute porn shorts and you'd be amazed at the hot, sexy stories people can tell in five minutes and the porn and the fucking that they can cram into five minutes. But what's really, I think, beautiful about Hump in this kind of magical way is watching the audience. Like I said, we watch the audiences during the screening. We don't watch the films because we tell everybody who participates in Hump that we're going to do our best to make sure that there are porn stars in this movie theater on this weekend – not porn stars on the internet for the rest of their lives. So we can't have anybody sneaking into hump and taking out their phone and taking a photograph or a video during the screening. So we watch the audience. We don't watch the show. We watch the audience, watch the show. And here's what you always see. And I just find this so kind of beautiful because, you know, when you watch porn at home alone, you don't click on anything that you're not interested in. When you go to hump, You're going to watch porn that takes you outside your comfort zones. You are going to watch – you are signing up to watch porn that if you were home alone sitting in front of your computer masturbating, you would not click on. That's hump. And at first, as the first few films roll out and straight guys, straight dude bros are having to watch gay guys get fucked in the ass by other guys and cis people are watching trans people – be intimate, be sexual, have sex and kinky are watching vanilla and vanilla watching kinky and gay dudes are watching giant vulvas being licked by giant lesbians up there on the screen. The most amazing thing happens at first. People are just really thrown back in their seats. The, The wind is knocked out of a whole lot of people. They're just kind of in shock because all they can really see at first are the differences, that that's not my thing. That's not my combo platter. That's not my plumbing. That's not the plumbing I prefer. All they can see is what's, Not their thing, right? And then what happens about a third of the way, halfway through hump, those people who had the wind knocked out of them, they get a groove. They get into it. They begin to see the stuff that they share. They begin to see not the differences anymore but the similarities. The plumbing may be different. The combo platter may be different. The acts that are possible may be different. But the desire, the lust, the vulnerability, the sense of humor, the passion, the joy, all of that is exactly the same whether you're bi, straight, trans, kinky, vanilla, that stuff. We all have that in common. Whatever the sort of surface differences are, everything going on underneath, everything going on in the heart and deep in the junk, not the surface area of the junk, deep in the junk, deep in the brain, all of that is exactly the same. And for me, always, when I go to Hump, the last two weekends in Seattle and Portland, 25,000 people, I think, was the number that came to Hump. We're going to take it out on tour again. Hundreds of thousands of people will see it. That's kind of what's magic about hump that we're all going to watch each other's thing. And at first all we see is what's different and what separates us halfway through the show. All you can see is what's the same, what unites us. And for a porn festival, I think that's kind of beautiful. And I just wanted to share that before we start the show this week, because I am on my post hump high. And I just needed to get that off my chest and now I have, and now your calls.
4: Hi, Dan, I have a sex and parenting question. My seven-year-old daughter likes to masturbate. She's been doing so for years, mainly by hanging off of furniture and basically grinding. My wife and I are of the mind that we do not want this to be shameful. However, we would prefer that she do so in private, and my daughter has largely complied with this request. We've not told her what she's doing, namely masturbating, and described nor described why she likes to do it, but have mostly been benignly neglectful. She started doing this around four or five years old, and I figured that it was a topic to not go too deeply into. Well, now she's getting older. And the other day during that time, I saw lots of bruising on her thigh, not her vagina, but right up in the crease. I asked her to not hang off the furniture, our term for what she does, for a few days to let her thigh heal. This she also largely followed. I'm feeling that it's time to start communicating with her about these issues. That would be all well and good, but for two hiccups. She's really smart, so she'll push the subject into areas where we feel it's still inappropriate for one her age. But she's also a blabber. She has a big mouth. She cannot be trusted to not take what we tell her and spread it around the school. This has happened on previous occasions on more mundane topics. So, is there a way to thread the needle here? We are not interested in telling her to stop, But perhaps with a better understanding of her body and what she's doing, she won't tear herself up so much and also will understand what she's doing should be private.
3: There's a lot to balance here because on the one hand, you really don't want her to feel shame for discovering and taking pleasure in her own body. And it sounds like you guys have been pretty good about that. This is something you do in private. This is something that isn't for, you know, the chair leg when grandma's in the room. This is for the chair legs in your own room when you're alone. Uh, But if she's hurting herself, if she's bruising herself, it's getting a little too thumpy and intense and you do need to say to her, you need to dial this back. Like it's a fine thing to take pleasure in your own body but you don't want to damage your body in the taking pleasure in it, especially at your age. So you need to dial this back and be a little more careful, a little more loving uh, with yourself, a little more tender and gentle with yourself the way mommy and I are tender and gentle with you. We love to, you know, play and roughhouse and touch and hug and squeeze and roll around but we don't bruise you when you shouldn't bruise yourself. So just put that out there in her head. The other conversation you might want to have, and I realize why this is squeaky, is why she's she doing this? What she's doing exactly? You're worried, of course, about the social consequences. Your daughter's a blabbermouth. If you explain to her that this is about sex and sexual pleasure and that you know one day in the future, she's going to want somebody else to do these things with her and that will be sex and sexual pleasure. And so she doesn't want to be one of those people who can only get off humping a table leg, only get off humping a pillow, only get off humping a mattress that one day she's going to want someone to be able to give her those feelings with his tongue or her tongue or the tongue of a person at some other point along the gender spectrum. And so if she's, you know, ruined herself for partnered sex by humping table legs and chair legs and furniture, exclusively and for potentially a decade before she arrives at partnered sex, that could be a problem. I don't think now's the time to talk to her about that though. Not at age seven and not with the blabbermouth problem because you can't go to her and say, this is some super secret special information that is potentially explosive and you cannot share this with anyone in your peer group because she will run out and share that with everyone in her peer group. That's just too alluring for the blabbermouth child. So I think the best approach for now is to encourage her to dial it back, to be gentler with herself, to not bruise herself, to continue to do these things in private when she's alone. And in two or three more years when she is at that age where you do talk about sex and sexuality and partnered sex, then you roll it out safe in the knowledge that even if she runs around school at age 10 or 11 blabbing about it, it'll be too late for her to be The Paul Revere of sex in her school because everyone will already know about it as she most likely already knows about it. Seven, eight years old. They've seen television. They've seen film. They've seen representations of human sexuality. They've probably gotten some idea where they come from and how. But 10, 11, you can say to her, one thing adults do in adult sexual relationships is give each other pleasure and adults aren't chair legs and table legs. And don't function the same way. And you don't want to carve such a deep groove in yourself response and pleasure wise that you can't feel those same things you're feeling now with a person when the time comes. And I think in two, three years, she'll be ready to hear that. And then if she ran around repeating that, so what? Everyone knows. But for now, stick with the gentler. Don't bruise yourself just like mommy and I. Don't bruise each other or you.
4: Hey, Dan. Uh, big fan. Straight mail from Phoenix. Had a question about disclosing that you've had it affect me to someone that you're dating. Uh, I have one kid already and uh, I'm obviously positive that I don't want more. So and I'm only thirty and I d and I usually date younger girls. Just wondering when I should uh should disclose. I know not right away but how far in. I know a lot of girls that I that I have been dating don't they don't say right away whether they they want kids or if they're planning on it or if that's what they're looking for. So i just wondering what you
3: think about that. That moment when you sense it shifting from something casual and loose to something perhaps on a track toward a serious commitment as when you disclose, uh, this isn't about what you want to do in bed necessarily. This isn't a sexually transmitted infection that you have to disclose prior to becoming intimate, but or prior to becoming intimate, what a highfalutin way to say prior to the first time you start fucking right. This is something that you need to disclose when people are weighing whether they want to make a lifetime commitment So if it's going on three, six months, if you're moving toward exclusivity, if there's stars in each other's eyes, if you've said the I love you thing, and if it's clearly on that track toward a serious commitment, then they have a right to know. Those girls have a right to know that you have no interest in having other children. There are a lot of women out there who have no interest in having children. You could end up disclosing this to someone who's like, oh, fucking A, Yahtzee. I don't want to have kids and I don't really like taking birth control and here you are with a vasectomy awesome you also have the option of disclosing it casually and early on during the birth control conversation what kind of protection are we going to use We use condoms are you on birth control that conversation typically comes for straight people or should come before the first intravaginal ejaculation episode right and in that moment you can casually slip it in and say, well, we don't really have to worry about condoms because I had a vasectomy after I had my child because I don't want to have any other children. And if she runs screaming, she runs screaming. I doubt she'll run screaming. She'll probably think, ah, if she wants kids, that's something that she seriously wants. And you say you're 30 and date younger women. So that you may be dating a woman who wants kids but doesn't want them now, who'd be only too delighted to roll around with you uh, condom free. Quick note, however, vasectomy does not protect you or her from sexually transmitted infections but certainly protects you from the ultimate sexually transmitted infection, the human infant.
5: Hi,
6: Dan. My question is inspired actually by your recent caller who brews beer and had a girlfriend who wanted to control his drinking. I agreed with everything that you said to him, Um, and it made me wonder if I'm being a controlling girlfriend about um, my partner's behavior. He texts and emails while he drives, and it makes me really – uncomfortable. I think it's really dangerous. It's not just putting his own life at risk, but he's risking other people's lives. Um, he'll do it when he's alone in the car. He drives a lot for work. And I know this because he'll text me or, you know, send emails while I know he's on the road. He'll do it while I'm in the car, while his daughter's in the car. And I've told him that this makes me feel uncomfortable and he's modified it a little bit and does it a bit less, but still does it. And I don't know. I I don't know if this. I don't know how to put my foot down about it. If I should do that, or if it's something that's important enough to threaten leaving over. I think it's really dangerous. And I would love to hear your your thoughts on it. And my guess is that um, he's not the only person in the world who does this. And I I guess I'm just not sure how to deal with it um, in the context of the the relationship and that dynamic.
3: The girlfriend who is. Ordering her boyfriend not to drink anything or hardly – or only allowing him one beer a month or whatever ridiculous amount it was, was denying him a pleasure that harmed no one and didn't even harm him. He was having one to two beers a day and that kind of light, moderate drinking a couple of times a week wouldn't harm anybody, doesn't harm anybody. And she had a problem with it because there were some alcoholics in her family. So she has this – she lays down this, oh, it gives me the huge sads trump card. And he's supposed to stop doing this thing. He can't say to her, no, you have to be rational about this and I'm sorry that you have big sads about alcoholism but I am not an alcoholic and if you can't tell the difference between an alcoholic and a non-alcoholic, I'm the wrong boyfriend for you because I brew beer and I drink in moderation and responsibly, right? And that's what you should look for if you've been harmed by alcoholism in your life and there's alcoholism in my family. Look for someone who drinks responsibly and they're not a fucking alcoholic, but to round every responsible drinker up to alcoholic and then attempt to control their drinking is a way of asserting some sort of retroactive control over the drinking that screwed up your family life or your parents marriage or your grandparents or whatever is just irrational horseshitry and no one should have to put up with that that is controlling girlfriend crap in that instance in this instance what your boyfriend is doing is potentially harmful to himself, to others, to you and your child. And you are not being a controlling girlfriend by refusing to put up with it even for an instant. Texting and driving, also known as distracted driving, according to the CDC, nine people die every day, 1,060 injured. And those are just the accidents that police reports linked to texting and driving. There are probably many, many more that aren't linked to it. And so those numbers are probably low. You shouldn't let this guy be in the car with your daughter. There is not a text that can't wait. There isn't. So you have to put your foot down. You have to, it is worth breaking up with him over it. It fucking is. If you get into a car with him and you say, give me your phone or put it in the glove compartment until we get there. And he blows up and is an irrational ass bag about it. Well, you have to choose your daughter and her safety and your own safety over this relationship. And if he can't be what did i say that that girlfriend of the brewer who had a couple of beers a day that she was required to be rational. She's qu- required to be rational about the real risks about her boyfriend's choices and behaviors and allow it because he wasn't doing anything harmful. Wasn't harming her, wasn't harming himself. Your boyfriend has to be rational about this. And you have to be rational about this. And the rational, reasonable adult human take on it is, it is dangerous, period, the end, and potentially harmful. So next time you're about to get into the car, look at him and say, I will get in the car as soon as your phone is in the glove compartment. And I will not get into the car until it is in the glove compartment, or I can drive. And you can text your little heart out all the way there.
4: Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a 23-year-old straight guy, um, and I have a question about the risk of contracting STIs from eating pussy. So it's a little bit complicated. Um, I just recently started a kind of Friends with Benefits fuck buddy relationship with this girl, and it's awesome. She's super sexy, and we just fuck the shit out of each other, and I love it. So uh, in talking recently, it came up that uh, she's a recovering heroin addict. Um, She talked about how she did uh, outpatient treatment, how she goes to meetings a few times. Um, and in the course of that conversation, she mentioned that she typically used to use heroin um, by snorting it, but that she shot up a few times. So I talked to my best friend about her, um, who is who, who my best friend, who is himself a recovering heroin addict, and he seems to think that she's probably lying about the fact that she's clean, that she's still probably using. That's based on the fact that um, she still smokes hot every day, she drinks a lot, and that. In his experience, heroin is such a difficult thing to kick that it's the type of thing that requires dramatic lifestyle changes and requires you to go to meetings every day, that kind of thing. Um, and he also said that to say that you only shot up a few times is something that he's heard a lot of other heroin addicts say that really is almost never true, that it's like one of those things that maybe um, somebody might say to you know that they're in denial or they're saying to justify or rationalize their heroin use. Anyways, that's all to say that, to be honest, I don't really care if she's using heroin. I mean, obviously I care from the perspective that it's horrible for anybody to be addicted to heroin, and I, I would want her to be clean and happy and all that. But between the two of us, the basis of our relationship is that we we just fuck each other, and you know we're nice to each other. So, my um, question is is Given that she may be using heroin, and probably intravenously, um, and as such might be a very high risk of contracting HIV or hepatitis or whatever, what would be uh, the risk of me contracting HIV or hepatitis or whatever from eating her pussy? Um, I love going down on uh, corals. I haven't done it with her, so um, I'm worried that maybe she'll be suspicious or whatever. But talking to my best friend, he seems to think that if I were to ask her directly about her heroin use, it's very, very, very unlikely that she would be honest about it. Um, so it's not, he thinks it would be really hard to tell. Um, but I would really love to eat her pussy. Um, and I think in these situations, you tend to give people you tend to advise people to do kind of the risk-benefit analysis. And that's what I'm doing. And I'm leaning towards just eating her pussy and taking the, the risk that may be there. Um, but I wanted to run it by you first. Let me know what you think.
3: Are you still seeing this girl? Uh, yeah. Have you eaten her pussy yet? No, I didn't. You're still hemming and hawing?
4: Yeah, I am. <laughs>
3: the sense of the Senate here at the Lovecast with me and the at at youth and Nancy is that she's probably still using. You know, if you have a heroin addict pal who looks at all of the details that you've shared with her and says, sounds like she's still using and minimizing, I'm going to have to defer to his wisdom in that area and say, yeah, yeah. We, we agree, probably still using.
4: Well, and the the update is is when I hung out with her most recently, like she definitely came into my apartment and like the first thing she did was like definitely like snort some heroin in my bathroom.
3: So why like, are you ha- So why are you hanging out with her?
4: Well, that was I, I I sort of was thinking before like as long as like whenever we hung out, like, aside from the fact that I thought she was using heroin, like there was never like any she never acted weird or like you know, she didn't seem like she was on drugs,
7: you know, uh-huh.
4: but, um, the most recent time we hung out, that really like shook me. Like it was really uncomfortable and I didn't really say anything about it at the time, but, um, like,
3: I don't know. It's, it's really weird. Did you fuck her that time? Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, you know, my question for you would be, you know, I'm curious why you would continue to sleep with her if you knew that she was abusing drugs like this, like heroin and pot, and alcohol, you know, if she's a train wreck, even if, like, the sex is good now and she's reasonably functioning now, if she's on, like, a course to just crack up, do you really want to be on that train when the wreck happens?
4: Well, no. I mean, because I would never want to date her, but we were always very clear from the beginning that we wanted really strictly, like, a physical friends with benefits kind of relationship. And so Mm -hmm. my feeling was that you know obviously that's bad and you know like i do like her as a person she's nice you know um and i would really hope that she can get some help for that but that you know if our if the basis of our relationship is that we're just fucking each other that ultimately it's her visit.
3: right but you're um, not exactly and, you're not exactly using your dick as a lever to leverage some help into her life either right you're not making seeing no. you kind of conditional upon maybe getting help or you know you aren't in those down moments after you blow a load near or in her or on her you're not saying you know it really worries me and i think maybe you should get some help you're just standing by watching this as a bystander but you're the bystander who fucks the car crash right yeah you're the you're the rubbernecker who pauses to blow a load on the wreck and and, yeah. and, I, and i have a problem with that like just morally i think that if you're going to be involved with some cuz i think a friends with benefits arrangement is a relationship and it comes with certain obligations, you know, fewer and perhaps less intense obligations. And it's easier to extract yourself from it. But this is another human being that you're coming inside of that. You are being physically and sexually intimate with you are involved with her. And if you are, you know, a caring human being, even if, you know, this isn't somebody to be with all your life, even if it is a casual sexual relationship, you need to express your care for her with something other than your cock. And, Use your words a little bit around when you're using your cock to say, I'm worried for you and I wish you would get help and I'm not fooled. And she might run from you then. You might not see her again because right. that would be classic addict behavior to think she's fooling you. And when she realizes she's not, she'll disappear.
4: Yeah, that's, that, I mean, that was really all my thinking was that talking to my friend who was a recovering addict, he always said that if you confront her about this, there's no way that she's going to tell the truth because she never told the truth to me. Before. And so there's really, you know, judging in his experience and just sort of acts in general, there's really no way that if confronted directly with this, she's going to, you know, confess to it. Um, Mm -hmm. And so my thinking, I was kind of justifying it by being like, well, you know, if she's not going to do that, then why even bring it up? Like, but I mean, I I agree with you. I mean, you know, it's kind of, besides the fact that I have an obligation to do it, I mean, it's, it's also just extremely uncomfortable to be, I mean, that's just, it feels, just terrible,
3: you know. Well, here's something else for you to feel terrible about. Then there's the whole consent issue. If she's really that fucked up on drugs and pot and alcohol, is the sex that you're having with her consensual? And can you know it's consensual? I don't, I'm not one of those people who thinks that anybody who like stuck their finger in a beer in a bar right. or looked at pot, you know, on a shelf is incapable of giving their consent. People, you know, use drugs and alcohol all the time and consciously consent to and give valid consent to sex. But if somebody is right. really fucked up, They can't consent. And if she is, by your estimation, really fucked up, like setting your dick aside for a second, try to set your dick aside. I'm a man. I know how hard it is to set your dick aside when you're trying to game something out like this. But set your dick aside for a second. Is she capable of giving her consent? And if she's not, you are doing what then with her?
4: Well, I'll say this. I I really do think that she is capable. I mean, like I said, the first thing that she did when she came in was seemingly blow a line of heroin in my bathroom Mm -hmm. but afterwards we had a the the conversation continued actually completely normally the only difference being that she was like scratching herself and like sniffling her nose and stuff
3: all that sniffling and scratching was just so attractive you had to have her
4: (laughs) yeah well i said it was weird but we were talking totally normally we had an intelligent conversation and i've talked with her previously when we're sober and you know, that was mm-hmm. how our, the basis of how our relationship started. And um she we actively we actually talk a lot about our sex life. She talks about how much she loves sleeping with me and stuff like that. So I really don't I, I obviously I understand that, that being on drugs or whatever, um hampers your ability to think clearly, but I really don't think that in this case okay. there so is she's, a question of
3: concern. So she's a she's a high functioning addict and we shouldn't take away from her her agency that she is making a choice.
4: Yeah. Okay. I, I agree with you, but you can say that I'm 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 maybe morally am, 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 I don't know how to say it, but I'm I'm being a bystander, but I'm definitely not I, I, I would never and am not in this situation
3: um, raping somebody. You may not be in the gray area or even the worse, but you're standing on the top of the slope that leads to it. If you know she's using now and you think she has agency and she's capable of giving her consent And, you know, that's something that you have to filter through your own dick's bias, right? But it may she may may slide downhill and you may find yourself, if you continue to fuck this woman and see this woman, in a place where you have to honestly assess what's going on and you may have to say she is no longer capable. That the consent she's giving now is not the same as the consent she was giving three months ago when she was not as fucked up as she is now, if this goes on. You say she really loves the sex, she loves sleeping with you? Yeah. You know, as a D de- as a decent human being, and I think you are one, or I'm going to round you up to one, even if I have doubts, <laughs> and, I don't, and I don't, you have a pressure point with her. You have some leverage with her. Yeah. She wants to keep fucking you. You have to say to her, you know what? You can fuck me, but not when you're on heroin. And I can tell. I'm not an idiot. I right. have friends who've been addicts. The other last time you were here, you went into the bathroom. You obviously snorted some heroin and you came out here and you were twitchy and scratchy and it was weird. And I regret having sex with you in that condition. I'm not going to do it again. So no, I think that's a great idea. So leverage your presence in her life for some some consciousness on her part around the drugs are fucking up the things I want in my life. And maybe I should get rid of the drugs because she wants you and your dick in her life. And the drugs cost her that maybe that'll cause her to like, take another look at the drugs and maybe think about getting real help as opposed to whatever the fuck she got before. But she yeah. needs to know that she's not fooling you, even if she continues to use the drugs. Right. right. She's not no, fooling I think you're you. Totally right. And you you know, you, you obviously like, you want to be a decent guy. You want to think I'm a good guy and I'm not doing a bad thing here, right? Uh-huh. And so the very least, you can't fuck her when she's strung out on heroin. You can't fuck her after yeah. she snorted heroin.
4: Yeah, I can't do that.
3: We're not even talking about your question, which is, can I eat her pussy?
4: Well, the the thing was, is that before I wasn't really sure if she was using heroin or not. And then this weekend confirmed it. Um, And so before she seemed to be much more functioning, this is the only, I think this was the first time that we hung out that she, she was obviously on heroin.
3: And and you need to call her on it. You need to say, last time we got together, you were on heroin. Don't lie to me. I knew it. I could tell. Don't do that again. I'm not going to fuck you again on heroin.
4: Yeah, I'm not optimistic that it'll change anything, but I can do that and I can at least, uh, I don't know. I'm not optimistic that she'll change her life, you know, based on what I say, but I can try and at least I can rest easy know, that, you know, I feel like I did the right thing.
3: You did the right thing by saying that, but then you have to do the right thing by doing that. That if she does yeah. come over yeah. and she's on heroin, you don't fuck her.
4: Oh yeah, no, I'm not going to. Okay. Good luck. All right, thanks Dan. It was a real pleasure talking with you.
3: You too.
8: Hi Dan. I'm a 30-something straight woman, and I have, throughout my life, been a serial monogamous. My last major relationship ended a number of months ago, and now I find myself in a completely unfamiliar situation. I'm dating a married polyamorous man. I've never really considered entering into a polyamorous relationship before, and I'm definitely very likely to stay monogamous while I'm in this relationship, since that's just what suits me. The man I'm seeing is absolutely wonderful, as is his wife, and they have a very strong, open, loving marriage, and I have no desire to come between that at all. I'm comfortable with the situation and can envision happily seeing this man for the investment future. So my question involves how to introduce and or explain the situation to people in my life. My closest two girlfriends, along with my amazing mother, all know the situation, and I'm not really worried about whether um, the rest of my family will have a problem with it. They're they're all pretty wonderful. I am, however, wondering how to approach the topic with my coworkers and other friends. Um, I would like to be able to introduce him to my friends and coworkers, but polyamory and dating a married man are still very much cultural taboos. My boyfriend wears a wedding ring, and so he offered to take it off when the two of us are out. I said no because I don't think he should have to hide any part of who he is just to make my life easier. So, Dan, I am wondering if you have any advice to give on the matter. I know the simple answer is to say that I just shouldn't care what others think, but I'm not really sure I can fully do that. So I'm hoping you may have some words of wisdom to impart on how to integrate my married boyfriend into my life.
3: Accept his offer to take the wedding ring off the first few times he interacts with your coworkers and your other friends who aren't as close. That is a reasonable accommodation uh and it's not a capitulation to the stigma or the bigotry I think attached to poly. Poly for a lot of people is new. They haven't met poly people and just as with the gay rights movement – People knew gay people. They didn't know they knew gay people. But then they found out they knew gay people once the gay people came out to them. You can recreate that social dynamic, which really changed everything for gay people, in miniature, in your own little social circles. Let him come to a couple of work events without his wedding ring on. Let people meet your boyfriend. Let them interact with him without the poly thing being the first thing that they see that they might have a problem with. Let them see that he's a nice and decent human being and good to you and good for you and you guys are good together. And then – Six months out, a year out after everyone has accepted him as your boyfriend, then gradually let it be known that he's also got a wife and it's a polyamorous relationship and that's new for you, but you're fine with it and you like him. And then they will do what people do when they have their prejudices and their bigotry and they realize suddenly that someone they know is blank. They have to weigh what they assumed about poly people versus what they've gotten to know about this poly person. And typically when people weigh those things, my prejudices versus the reality of this human being standing in front of me that I've gotten to know and like, the human being wins. And people let go of people you want to have in your life, good and decent and smart people. They let go of their prejudices when they're in conflict with what they've gotten to know about this human being. So let him be the human being without the wedding ring the first few times he interacts with the other people in your life. Take him up on that offer. And don't think of it as hiding. Think of it as deep cover operative for a little bit. You're not asking him to hide. You're asking him to roll it out with the ultimate goal of being out about it. But you're going to play a little trick on people. Let them get to know him as a person first before they get to know that he's a poly person.
4: Hi, Dan. I'm calling for advice on dating. Um, it seems that my dating experience lately has been meeting these really great guys and having a great time with them. But then I always find myself disappointed when I find out that they are constantly updating their okay, Cupid profile, Grindr, Tinder, other gay dating apps. And I'm just wondering, am I wrong in thinking that this is a lack of respect? I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's not cheating. And my perspective of these men that I'm dating always changes drastically when I find out that he's chatting and viewing other guys' profiles. Um, I guess I'm just seeking advice on how to handle this. Um, Do I just confront them about it when I find out these things? I mean, I've literally... Been in situations where I go sit in their car and I see that their grinder profile is up. And that's like we're about to go on a date, <laughs> you know?
3: Oh my God, you're about to go on a date and you see that he's on Grinder? Oh my God, how disrespectful that this guy you're about to go on a date with is on Grinder. And. I assume you only got on Grinder to check if he was on Grinder, and maybe that's the reason why he's on Grinder. Maybe he's checking if you're on Grindr or maybe he's just fucking on Grinder for a split second because it's a habit because dating apps are kind of addictive. Because some people chit chat on dating apps with their friends and with their exes and some people are still playing the field to – be on Grinder in that instant while you're waiting for him to the car while he's taking a piss in his house and he's just flipping through his apps is the equivalent of you guys are in a bar together and you're having a drink together and you're definitely going home together. But he like eyes for a second somebody else on the other side of the room. Not because he's going to go home with that guy, not because he's going to ditch you, but because somebody else caught his eye. Period. The end. Don't be a controlling psycho about this. And again, circling back. Oh, it's terrible that you're about to go on a date and he's on Grinder. So are you. That's how you found out he's on Grindr. I have an idea. If it bothers you to see that somebody that you're about to go on a date with is on a dating app, get off dating apps. When you're about to go on a date with somebody, don't lurk on Grindr waiting to find out that he's on Grindr. And if he saw, and if you saw him on Grindr, he saw you on Grindr. You're either giving him the impression that you're as too timing and shitty as he is Or you're giving him the impression that it's not an issue for you, that like you live on the dating apps the same way he might live on the dating apps. Chatting with friends, always looking around who's around, out of force of habit. Just chill the fuck out. Chill the fuck out. Take a deep breath. Your issue reminds me of these guys I knew a couple of decades ago that broke up because they were in a monogamous relationship and they ran into each other in a bathhouse. And one blew up at the other. Oh my God, you're in a bathhouse. How dare you? And was screaming at him, according to my friend, for ten minutes before <laughs> my friend looked at him and said, You're in a bathhouse too. Hello? Well, yeah, he was on grinder. You are on grinder too. If you don't think he should be in the bathhouse, you should stay the fuck out of the bathhouse yourself.
2: Hi Dan. I'm a forty eight year old gay guy who was in a twenty year relationship that petered out about three years ago over a long term loss of intimacy. For the last five months, I've been involved with a 21-year-old who has never been with someone who actually treated him well, and he's completely hooked. He's sweet and attentive, has no issue whatsoever with our age difference, and the sex is the best either of us has ever had. But there's a problem. We have almost nothing in common outside of bed. He has a minimal education, is into hip-hop and tricking out his truck, lives with his parents, and bounces from one $8 an hour job to another. Well, I'm a professional with two graduate degrees and tastes that probably couldn't be more different. When we're intimate, things are wonderful. We have a genuine connection and both feel safe and loved and appreciated. The rest of the time, though, it's like we're from different planets. It doesn't seem to bother him, but it bothers me. My question is, should I count myself lucky to have a loving, devoted, and very hot young guy so into me and keep things going? Or should both of us wake up and realize that this is an incomplete relationship that really can't last and accept that we probably both should be dating people more like ourselves? Anytime I've even hinted at wanting to talk about these issues, he freaks out, anticipating the worst. What should I do?
3: My impulse, of course, is to say, you're 48, he's 21, it can't last, which is what you said. But then again, Christopher Isherwood met Don Barkerty when Isherwood was 48 and... Bacardi was 18 and they were together for 30 years. There's a wonderful documentary about their life together called Chris and Don, a love story. So, Hey, sometimes it does last, but lasting isn't the only measure of a successful relationship. You can let this play out for as long as it goes. You can allow it to be what it is, which is most likely temporary and it can still have value. It doesn't sound like you're ready for it to be over or there's any really pressing need for it to be over other than you're trying to game this out and concluding that it can't last forever and therefore it must be murdered now, which panics him because he's not ready for it to be over, but you're not ready for it to be over either. So just let it be, let it go, let it happen. And yeah, you're unlikely to be together for 30 years like Chris and Don were, but Maybe you'll be together 30 months and during that time you'll visit his planet and you'll come to see some things of value there. It doesn't sound like you're seeing a lot of value there on planet, what was it, cars and hip hop music or whatever his life is about and $8 an hour jobs. But may, but there, I bet you there's value there. If you could drop your classism and pretension and learn to appreciate a little bit of his world, you might like visiting his planet now and then for the vitality, the energy. The difference, and he is probably learning something and growing a bit by visiting your planet of professional people and accomplishments and education. And through osmosis or insemination, he's getting something that he will carry with him for the rest of his life. That There can be a little crossover between your two worlds for as long as this unfolds. So enjoy it. Be good to him. Campsite rule. Leave him in better shape than you found him. And that can include impressing upon him the value of an education, not by lecturing him or hectoring him, but just by being this educated person in his life. And he'll, he sees where those accomplishments have taken you and let it be. Stop, stop worrying about it. You're 48 years old. You got out of a long-term relationship. You met a really wonderful young guy who's totally into you and Yahtzee, you win. And I can't impress upon you enough. And I'm just going to circle back to this for the end of my response. That something doesn't have to last forever to have been of value that you guys can spend the next 12 months, 24 months, 36 months being with each other, learning from each other, loving from each other. And part then as friends, when you're both ready to part, or one of you is really ready to part and stay friends, you could be a friend and mentor to him all your life, even if you're not his boyfriend, all his life. And he can be a friend and also a kind of mentor to you too. Mentorship can really go both ways. It doesn't always have to be about age or education. That You can learn from him too. But when we get it into our heads that the only relationships that are valid are the ones that when we game them out can last forever until one of us is dead, people smother a lot of otherwise really decent good relationships in their cribs. People end things that are not ready to be ended and should not be ended. And sometimes people cheat themselves of that relationship that could have lasted forever. If Isherwood had looked at Don when he was 48 and Don was 18 and said this couldn't possibly last and dumped him, they wouldn't have been together for 30 years. So don't make that mistake. Just let it be. Enjoy it for as long as it lasts. All right. We're going to take a quick break from the calls for a little interview. As much as I like to pretend, as much as all professional advice slingers like to pretend that they're the only people out there, giving advice, are the only people out there that you should listen to or go to for advice. It's not actually true. There are a lot of people out there giving advice, a lot of people advice columns, advice shows, and we like to invite them on to our show every once in a while for a segment we call Second Opinion. But this will actually be a second, third, and fourth opinion because joining us today, Griffin, Justin, and Travis McElroy. They are the hosts of My Brother, My Brother, and Me. It's a comedy advice podcast. So uh, Griffin, Justin, and Travis, how the hell did you guys get into the advice business?
9: Uh, well, not to quibble, but we, we explicitly tell people not to let us be their sole source of information. It, they would be better off to, to look elsewhere, honestly. We often pretend that we are not giving advice. What are you doing then?
3: You have an advice show. You say it's – I looked at your site. It's like an advice show.
0: Oh, I'm glad
10: that you did some, some research on, on, our, <laughs> uh, on our style. Uh, it's, it's mostly a front. It's a, a, a front operation. For uh, a deeper uh, comedic and also we do some money laundering
3: on the side. Uh, right? Oh, I, I've been thinking about getting into that myself. That is one area we can give you advice. Okay, so where are you guys from and how old are you and are you married and are you straight? Give us a little background bio on each of you. Go first, Griffin.
10: I mean, the answer is the same for all three of us. We're all from uh, Huntington, West Virginia, Jewel of the, uh, of the River Valley. Uh, we are all all married and all straight. Um, which is I, I realize pretty boring. It's not it's not a very exciting spectrum that we represent, unless I don't know, unless like you have an Appalachian fetish, in Could, which case we can scratch that itch for you.
3: Just jumping out of the whole advice thing and sex thing and straight thing for a second. West Virginia used to be reliably solidly Democratic. What the fuck happened? Travis
10: and I left, and and we took the two. We <laughs> were two votes shy. I took it. Uh-huh. I took it to Texas, where I now live, and as you can see, that seed has found purchase in the in the rich loam, the rich Texas loam, and is very slowly turning it blue. You see. Yeah. We'll, we'll see, and we'll, now that I live
0: in Los Angeles, it's it's a very liberal community now.
9: And the short answer is, the unions don't have as much uh, juice here, and they really a lot of people are not crazy about the, the fact that we have a black gentleman as the president.
3: Is that how the good people of West Virginia, who are not crazy about having a black gentleman as president, refer to him?
9: Um, that or that guy that hates coal are the
3: two. <laughs> <laughs>
10: but that, it's confusing because that can also mean Joe Biden. <laughs> right.
9: right. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to say.
3: OK, so you guys ready to take some calls? You're going to give some advice to unsuspecting savage love callers who thought they were just going to get me or actually going to get quadruple barreled, me and three straight guys.
11: <laughs>
3: <laughs> we're going to tag team them. You guys ready? Sure, I absolutely not, but let's do it anyway.
11: Hey, Ben, I am a straight female in my late 20s, and I have a question for you. I recently started dating this guy I met at Swing Dance class about two weeks ago, and things are going really well. Um, We talk every day. Um, He's a great listener. He's extremely smart and he's very kind, and to be honest, he's probably the most emotionally available guy I've met in a year and a half, so I'm really excited. There's just one little thing, and that is he is probably by far the worst dresser I have ever met um, and certainly ever considered dating. He wears clothes that are too big for him. He uh, is a fan of khaki cargo shorts and kind of cheap, like, white sneakers with loose-fitting socks. He wears casual clothes and non-casual settings, such as the cheap kind of white sneakers in, like, a restaurant with a fedora also. I mean, really clueless when it comes to dressing himself. He's 27, um, around my age, and he's never been in a long-term partnership. So it's quite possible that he's really just never known that he comes off this way. So, my question is, I have been, obviously it's too early two weeks in, but I guess I'm curious whether or not I have the right and at what point I would have the right to bring this up as a concern. Uh, one other detail, I was fooling around with him and we, I had my hands down his shorts and I made a comment about how he must have lost some weight recently because his shorts were much too big for him. And he said that, no, he had his lost weight. He's always been the same size, but that his shorts belonged to his brother. And he was really only wearing a belt to hold them up. So clearly like a situation that I have been thinking about. It hasn't gotten away of me feeling turned on around him, but I can see it going that way. So I guess I would appreciate any male caller's feedback on this matter and your opinions.
9: I don't know that much about swing dances uh, I, or dance classes, I should say. But I think if you're already into that aesthetic, maybe just lean into it a little bit more. Definitely the fedora. I think that's a start, right? I want him looking like uh, 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 the bass player from the Cherry Poppin' Daddies.
10: Mm-hmm. Sure. Or any member of the Cherry Poppin' Daddies. I, I don't think there was one guy in the Cherry Poppin' Daddies that wore like a sensible um, mon- monochrome suit. I think they were all pretty decked out um, right in in that particular garb
3: i have no idea I, what I, you guys are talking about
9: the zoot suit riot cats remember zoot suit riot you
0: remember
3: riot. when swing was big again for like 30 seconds remember in the like 90s big swing, was, swing was back okay so, so you guys are three straight guys and the cliche about straight guys is that they don't know how to dress themselves that they need their Rats. wives girlfriends and their gay friends if they can stand to have one to tell them what to dress is that true of you guys well, here's the crazy thing about like the very concept. Like in this day
0: and age, it's so easy to just dress blandly, ne- neither good nor bad. Just like jeans and t-shirt, and no one's gonna say you dress so poorly. Mm-hmm. Like you're dressing like the most normal, it's
10: like urban pretty even
9: keel. Basically. Yeah, no one sees my jeans. I mean,
10: that's what the normcore movement was all about. I feel like it was just like I have I have no goddamn idea how to elevate my game. At the, the, the very best, I can just go without, you know, if I if I stand perfectly still, maybe nobody will notice um, <laughs> that I am wearing gym shorts outside, not
9: at the gym. I always short-circuit myself because I'm about 40 to 50 pounds overweight, depending on how close I am on No, come on. Listen, this isn't no. a pity party, but I'm saying that, like, when I start thinking about I should up that game, I really think, like, I should get the structural integrity going first I should really sort that out before I move on to how I'm going to decorate the house like making sure your your genitals are comfortable no, like what, what, stu- what I'm saying is I have, some, <laughs> I have some structural rot in in my home and before I figure <laughs> yeah. out what what paintings I'm going to hang I should probably get in there and replace some of the drywall Justin's beams are infested with carpenter ants
10: as it's, straight it's guys
3: though as straight guys let's say, let's just mm-hmm. say you were straight guys and you are straight guys let's say you were all bad dressers mm-hmm. right yeah uh, and I, let me put it out there, I'm a gay bad dresser, I'm a jeans and a t-shirt guy, I, I look okay because Terry dresses me, because mm-hmm. Terry plays Barbies with me whenever I go on television and just dresses <laughs> me up and does my hair. But as straight guys, if you had girlfriends who thought that you were shitty dressers and wanted you turned out better, what would be the best approach? What? How should your girlfriends approach Tell you? Tell me
0: directly as soon as possible.
3: Really? Really. As soon I, I, just, I don't
0: want to speak for every like straight dude, but like I... I like, am constantly silently searching for someone to help with things, and so it feels to me like this dude—he's never been in a, a relationship before. He wears loose-fitting socks, which already seems like the worst thing you could do, and a fedora. Yeah. And he seems like he's just begging someone to say, "Like, hey, it's, get a, it cry, all. it's you know, a cry
10: for
9: help." You're saying no, yeah. but that's
10: that's you feel that way because you're wearing jeans and a t-shirt. You're you're, you're full-blown norm norm core urban camo. So you don't you don't have a look to change this guy has a look the fedora that the, the fedora i feel like is a, a a sign you wear around your neck saying i worked really hard on this look and i'll be goddamned if i'm gonna let somebody take it from me
3: you can't find loose socks anywhere i went and found loose
9: socks <laughs> <laughs> these are pre-stretched uh, uh maybe she could buy one piece of clothing as a gift that would sort of like force him to elevate his game to meet it like if she bought one really nice fancy belt that's like, actually, well, I can't wear these with sweatpants. I got to elevate my pants game and then just build from there. That is on point
10: because that, that is the only way I've ever been able to elevate my style, and it's barely gotten off the ground, but it's not on it, which is an important distinction.
3: Uh, this is so contrary to what I thought straight guys would say. Straight guys would all say, just tell me what you want me to wear, and I'll wear it if I can keep eating your pussy.
10: No, you gotta, you got to sneak it.
3: I think
9: that all uh, – I think that a lot of straight guys – I won't make generalizations, but I think a lot of straight guys w- want to dress better. They're right. just afraid that they don't – they can't pull it off. Like they know what it would look – what like fashionable people wear. That They just don't think that they can sell it for whatever reason. Like so they'll, you, get that, don't you get not know that they're getting above their raisin as they say yeah, here, here in West Virginia.
10: So you get that one nice shirt and you think I look nice in this. I want to pursue more nice – clothing opportunities and that's that's how you get the the the, the game off the ground although i will say you got to be careful because what if this is your situation like your your wife leaves you after you know 25 years and then suddenly you can't fall asleep because you don't have the sound of her snoring anymore what what if what if you actually love this thing and you'll miss it terribly you'll miss that fedora terribly can i ask you guys
9: a question do you think listening to the call this guy sounds very like sort of open and, and honest and caring and sweet. Do you think that, that betrays like a lack of vanity? Like maybe he needs to 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 be a little bit more like concerned with his own look and would that affect the, the facets of his personality that, that she's come to enjoy so much? Oh, so you're saying maybe it's that he thinks so little about himself exactly, and thinks so much right? about
0: other people that he's just like not even t- taking stock of his everyday look. So what if she messes with that? You know, Mother Teresa was wearing loose fitting socks. No question. I mean, maybe, but then it really comes down to like, I, because the other option is a very slow progression over time. Like saying, emotionally, personally, I like this dude. I'm going to invest the time, and maybe in like ten years, I've gotten to a place where he's like, you know, pretty
3: fashionably acceptable. Can we go quick round, Robin? What are you wearing right now?
0: Oh, God. oh, that's unfair, Dan. I'm wearing sweatpants.
9: <laughs> I'm wearing a long-sleeve Hanes beefy tee and t- uh, tan cargo shorts. And loose-fitting socks at <laughs> like the record show. I mean,
0: I was wearing, like, jeans and a t-shirt and my cowboy buckle and my cowboy boots, and, like, dude, that is my general everyday look. But you
10: had to, you had I... to toss on your, your casual, uh, your, your podcasting sportswear.
0: Yeah, my podcast pants.
9: Griffin, what are you wearing?
10: Oh, I'm wearing some some nice J. Crew jeans and a a, a nice blouse that I got from Target. I'm not th- proud of the Target thing, and I'm wearing Puma socks that I bought like 48 pairs of at uh, Costco. But the jeans are really nice. I'll stand by the jeans. <laughs>
3: So, so maybe you're all disqualified from giving sartorial advice. Yeah, that's, we all say that stuff out loud. And it's like ah, yeah. Even if one of you is wearing cargo shorts, you are all disqualified from giving. That's fair. See, Absolutely my, fair. I've,
10: I've got a I've got a glass third full way of looking at it, which is to say if you took the composite parts of everything that Justin and Travis and I are wearing right now, you could
0: make probably one decent ensemble. I have nothing Does to it attribute. Does that change if I say that my T-shirt is a Styx concert T-shirt? It changes nothing.
10: It
9: doesn't mean you're trying to sleep with a roadie.
10: The glass is is now like a 14th
4: full. Hey, Dan. I am a 21-year-old gay man, and I had a question for you in regards to sexiling. I have a straight roommate, and obviously he has a girlfriend, and every now and then he likes to invite her over to our apartment to fuck in his bedroom. I really have no issue with this. Usually when they fuck in the apartment. It's uh, during times when I'm not even in the apartment anyway. However, uh, when I first uh, moved in with him, I made him agree to stipulation that if he ever wanted me out of the apartment to fuck with his girlfriend or whatnot, uh, he would have to pay me for that privilege. Uh, in other words, he would have to pay me for the privilege to sexile me. Uh, when I brought this up uh, with a group of friends, uh, when the topic of rooming agreements came up a couple days ago, they didn't really react well to this. They seemed to think that it really wasn't my place to impose this on my roommate. And some of them made the comment that it was quote, creepy that I had this stipulation on him. I really don't know why, but in any case, I disagree with them. I think that if I'm paying half of the cost of a shared space, that I should have the right to come and go as I please in that shared space, regardless of my roommate's sexual habits. And, um, So I just want to call and uh, see your take on it. Do you think I'm going overboard with this stipulation, or am I in the right?
3: Should this guy have to pay his creepy gay roommate to go away when he wants to fuck his girlfriend? So this is my question. That's a loaded
10: question.
0: (laughs) Is the deal I'm paying you like I'm going to pay for your movie and like your night out? Or is it like I'm handing you a hundred dollars and we've set a price like it is a hundred dollars for you to leave?
3: He doesn't specify. We have we have no idea whether the guy's getting him a hotel room for the night or the guy's just sending him out to the movies or giving him twenty bucks to go get a couple of beers. We don't know, but some exchange of currency is involved here, some payment. Because that makes sense to me. If he's
0: saying like you got to get out of the house, it's it's. I think it is rude of the roommate to say you got to get out of the house, and I am not going to provide you with any options for what that would be. Is this is
10: this a tra- is this like a fucking traditional Japanese style home with paper walls and door? Why? What level of privacy does this person need? Or like, I can have nobody within a three mile radius of my lovemaking because I I bellow in there.
9: You can always tell when this guy's light on cash because he starts having sex really quietly. <laughs>
3: You know what you know what sticks out to me what, what i don't get is does the gay roommate not ever have sex? does he never have one over isn't this about reciprocity like when you're having somebody over i'll make myself scarce, and the exchange is not of currency but of, and when I have somebody over, you'll make yourself scarce. So this straight guy with the girlfriend has a celibate gay roommate. He's never going to need to ask his roommate to that, get out. He
9: is not planning ahead. Certainly, he is. Uh, that's what's almost the saddest about this. Is you're right, Dan. He's not. He's not even considering the possibility that he may need
3: this favor in exchange. Right. That that, that that's where it breaks down for me. Like gay roommate, not planning ahead, not planning forehead, not planning at all. Like you're going to want to get laid sometime. You're going to meet a boy, and if you're broke. Right. You look, you're going to have to fucking Yeah, what
0: happens when his like roommate's priest. like, "Hey, I need you to get out of the house." Like, "Okay, 100 bucks." Like, "I don't have it." Uh, that, that's
9: too bad. That's uh. a, that's a that's a system you set up for us this this tariff on fucking. Looks like I'm still watching Walking Dead. Enjoy you got to go loud sex. You got to go
0: jerk
3: off into the Boston Harbor and and make a political <laughs> statement. I'm going to watch Walking Dead and listen to fucking <laughs> fans. <laughs> Cuz you don't have the 100 bucks to send me away. <laughs> Or maybe the gay roommate wants his straight roommate to watch. Maybe that would yeah. work. If
10: you're gonna watch, if if you're gonna watch Walking Dead, just turn the volume up really loud, and then you don't have to leave. There's so many other solutions that you could do that don't involve having to like leave,
9: having to just leave put your, your headphones on and watch it on your computer. Maybe just have sex with your roommate there once and see if it if it works yeah. out. Just give it a shot. You don't
0: know. I feel like. The trick of this that I have just realized is what it really sounds like to me is maybe the caller doesn't want to be there. when It's not the roommate's problem. It's the caller's problem who's like, I don't want to be in the house when you're doing that. At which point then I don't feel
9: like the roommate needs to pay him at all. I don't know. If the guy's trying to turn a buck, I, I, I think that he, pro- he doesn't mind. I think he's just trying to, to look for a profit opportunity, which I respect. As a a red-blooded This is America. Yeah, I mean, I get it. Sure. I get it. but, But I want all
10: of us to sit here and think about the conversation that happened, the goddamn negotiation, the contract negotiation that happened where they determined how much sex is worth
9: to this other person. Do you think like it proxy, scales? Yeah. Do you think it's a sliding it scale? It's like it $25 it's for five minutes. Yeah, I'm, listen, I'm like, only going to need about 20 bucks worth of alone time tonight. <laughs> I mean, this is a 10-minute job tops.
0: <laughs>
2: There's 20 bucks. Walk around, yeah, the, walk
0: around, around the block. Yeah, walk around the block. Here's right? 10 bucks. <laughs> you can stand outside the door and just like count to like 100. It It'll probably be fun.
10: <laughs> and then, but wait. But in that situation, that person is not going to be able to perform. With the heat on, like oh my god, time's <laughs> about
0: to run
9: Can't out. Can't do hundred again. Well, what's worse is that uh, that awkward moment when the sex lasts half as long as you thought it was going to, and then you have to wait. Like, well, do I call and try to get him back because I really don't want to pay <laughs> for time that I'm not using?
0: Oh, what if you pay like a hundred bucks and then your girlfriend's like, you know what, I'm not really in the mood. And it's like, uh, um, um hold on, or right
9: or, or you're
10: still doing it and you hear keys in the doorknob. That's the worst. Everything about this is the worst. That's that. That's my definitive stance. Boo! I say no thanks.
3: I, I think the consensus is here. This guy should live alone. This gay guy should mm-hmm. get a studio apartment and live alone.
0: Yes, but still charges roommate at sex. because hey, it's like a Pavlovian doing? thing at this point. If I don't yeah. pay my roommate a hundred dollars, I can't get aroused. <laughs>
3: Yeah, that could carve a groove into you. Maybe the straight roommate's turned on paying his gay roommate. Maybe there's some sort of financial domination going on. Please, sir, may I have sex with my girlfriend? Here's $100. If,
0: if that's not what was going on at the beginning, it's definitely what's going on now. Any of you guys
3: ever had a gay roommate, you straight boys? I did,
0: actually, my, my senior year uh, of college. And it was great. He was a lovely dude. His name was David, and he was a great roommate. He also was like a bartender, so he would like mix us drinks when we had a bad day. He was great, he was lovely.
10: And Travis and Travis paid him about fifteen thousand dollars all told.
9: (laughs) He had a a good run there for a while.
4: Hi, Dan. I have a question about organizing a guy's night out. Um, A guy in my late twenties, and a lot of my friends are starting to get married. They're moving in with their girlfriends, and uh, I'm noticing that you know when we go out, their girlfriends are almost invariably there. They're not awful people, but sometimes I just want to hang out with my buddies. I've been thinking about trying to organize a weekly or bi-weekly guys night out kind of thing. But the problem is that all of us have, have uh, become involved with women that, uh, enjoy our interests. So say if I wanted to do a poker night, well, my, a couple of my buddies' girlfriends are really into poker and would love to play if I wanted to do a movie night. Well, a couple of them are really big movie buffs and would love to come to a movie night. Um, so I, I can't think of a good reason to exclude them other than I don't want you there and not to be mean. It's just that, you know, I mean, I've been friends with these guys for a very long time and they're my friends. Your wife isn't really my friend. She's just the person you chose to spend your life with. Um, and again, they're not terrible people, but sometimes just want to be with the little with, uh, with the dudes.
3: This has to be – this is so slow and over the plate for you three straight guys who give advice. Dude wants to hang out with his guy friends, doesn't want any of the girls around. But some of the girls are into all the cliche guy things. How does he get rid of them for a dude's night out? I hate to keep like subverting
9: these but there's something about the whole premise of the question that I just find really kind of weird. I I, I guess I just don't understand what the problem is with like – he he says this a couple of times that like the 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 these new additions to their circle of people like like d- the same things and are and are are okay to be with. I, I I don't I don't see why the the big push to to try to to try to exclude them.
0: Especially when he says like that he's friends with the dudes, but he doesn't really know the female counterparts that well. Well, you're going to get to know them by doing stuff with them, like make them your friends.
10: If you have to explicitly say that you don't have a reason to exclude them, then I agree. Yes. Yes, completely.
0: I feel like the idea of, like, a dudes night is, like, this archaic idea of, like, the gentleman's club, no girls allowed, like, we can't really be men if there are women around. And I feel like it's just so outdated and so stupid that you might as well just say, like, we can't be the worst without with women around. Like, it's, I don't understand it.
3: It's telling, isn't it, that it's not any of the guys with the girlfriends who have this problem? It's the guy who doesn't have a girlfriend who has this problem.
9: It's hard to shake the feeling that, like, it, it's this guy trying to get back a, a time in his life that just his friends aren't at anymore. Right. Like, it, it feels like he's trying to, to hold on to. Uh, a sort of like camaraderie that they've sort of moved on from a little bit or at least are trying to it seems to me like if he had just
0: said like hey i just want to have the dudes it's not a deal but as soon as he has to think about ulterior motive and come up with a plan and like now it's a big deal like if it had just been like hey do the guys just want to hang out tonight no one's probably going to turn their nose up at that but as soon as you're making this big deal now it's a big deal
3: he could present it to them as he's trying to save their relationships because all the research shows that people who are in relationships, who spend time apart, who have their own friends and some social things that are away and separate from one another, those relationships tend to last longer than people who spend all their time together. So he could invite them out for poker, no girlfriends because he's so concerned about the health and longevity of their relationships. That's, that's a good pitch, about.
9: but if these guys know this guy at all, they're going to smell that bullshit a mile away. <laughs> oh yeah, Trevor. Oh, for sure. We got it. Thank you for the assistance.
10: And also that, that, that I it's harder to realize when you're in when like your main group of friends are all sort of shared friends like it, it, you have to sort of move outside of that group if you want to really find that time not that I think that you really need it but but I, I don't know it's so weird to say oh we're excluding you from these things that you like just because I only want to hang out with with men do, tonight
9: like do you think it's less about wanting to hang out with just the guys and more that he maybe feels a little vestigial when it's like him and three or four couples like he's the the ninth wheel in this maybe. circle if you're dealing with a bunch of
0: guys that have significant others that they care so much about that it's hard to peel them away, don't you think you would get more like time with them and they would stay out longer and have a better time if those significant others were also there instead of like, well, I've got to head home because Susan's waiting on me and I, you know I got to go. Like, why not just make it a big event and not worry who's
3: there? Or maybe make an end run around the guys and call the girls and ask them what he has to pay them not to come home. Yes. <laughs> like, oh. Steal, steal a page from the gay caller previous's playbook and like, what do, you, what, what do, you, what what's it worth to you to to go away and let me have a guy's night out? Like, I'll pay you hundred bucks to go see the movies with each other. <laughs> um, can
10: I, can I uh, just ask the three of you to step away? And everybody who's listening, just to step away and let me just talk to this caller really. Just really quick, I know it'd be easier for me just to call this person up I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this show as just a one on one communication line just really quick, just for a few seconds. I know this is like a a fart thing like you do, you have to do it a bunch and you love to do it, but I trust me, man, you just shouldn't be doing that in front of anybody regardless of whether uh, they're a man or a woman. Okay, everybody, you can come back. Um, I just told them uh, just some quick advice
3: okay, okay. Well we may have to leave it there. my brother, my brother, and me is the podcast. Where can people find your podcast guys uh it's at n b m b a m dot com or on itunes and Griffin Justin and Travis, how long have you been in this podcast advice business for let you go? april twenty ten
9: well i mean we've been we've been talking out of our asses for a lot longer than that, but we've been recording it since April twenty ten <laughs> Do you guys have any other
3: siblings?
10: Nope, no nope, I mean just, just the, the three f- of us the one oh, okay. I ate in the womb, but other
3: than that <laughs> Parasitic twins don't get on the show. Thank you guys so much. Thank oh, you. it's been our pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, Dan.
1: Hi. My question has to do with what I should do with a roommate. So recently, I and my male roommate got really close, kind of really fast, and we already had been, like, cuddling and touching, and then one night when we both got really drunk together, we were really physically affectionate and, like, cuddling a lot. And then we decided to move to his room, and so we were just, like, cuddling a lot, sleeping next to each other, which was all fine. And it's what I wanted. And then he started touching me, but then I really had to pee. So I got up, and I went to the bathroom, and then I came back, and I did not, you know, resume anything. And I don't know, we kind of talked about it, and he's going through a lot of shit with a girl that he just recently broke up with. But now he's made me want him, and it's not fair that he would just lead me on and then essentially be like, no, I'm not ready for anything sexual with anybody, which is what he told me. So, yeah, I just don't know what I should do, and I'd like it if Dan could tell me.
3: It's perfectly clear what you should do. He led you on. He cuddled with you. It's not fair that he would lead you on like that. He would ma- He made you want him by touching you and, and being physically with you and... You are within your rights 100% to just hold him down and fuck the shit out of him whether he wants you to or not. Thank you for calling. Actually, for Slow Joe in the back row, as the tech savvy at risk youth like to say, that's bizarre. That's That's the opposite. That's not my advice. That is not true. I want you to listen to what you said, young lady. He made me want him. It's not fair that he would lead me on, right? People can change their minds. Usually when we talk about this sort of – changing of minds. It's usually framed as she changed her mind and he was let on. But here we are. He changed his mind and she feels let on. And the same advice applies, whether it's he changed his mind or she changed his mind. Anybody can change their mind at any moment and withdraw their consent and it stops. And what do you do if you're the person who's standing there watching somebody else change their mind? You take no For an answer. You acknowledge that the consent has been withdrawn. You pull your pants up and you leave. You respect their decision to not fuck you for whatever reason. They don't want to fuck you. They're not obligated to fuck you because they cuddled with you. They're not obligated to fuck you because they led you on and it's not leading on. They changed their mind for whatever reason, their own reasons, probably very good ones that you aren't necessarily privy to and don't have a right to be presented with to justify that decision. You respect their decision. And you know what you say? You want to get into his pants, right? One of the best ways to get into the pants of somebody who changed their mind, withdrew their consent for whatever reason, is to respect their decision. I know this is a little like bank shoddy, and this isn't about undermining someone's decision or trying to play games with them. Sometimes people seem like they want to have sex. They're cuddling. They're initiating. They're kissing. And then for whatever reason, they decide this isn't right. They don't feel right about it. Maybe they don't feel right about you. Maybe something happened unintentionally that made them feel uncomfortable about you and they withdraw their consent. You want that person to feel more comfortable about you. You want that person to feel like maybe you deserve a second chance. You absolutely respect that decision. You back the fuck off and you say, okay, done. You don't do anything that makes them feel pressured or makes them feel like you feel that they're obligated to fuck you because of what they did, how they led you on the way they were dressed, anything else. This applies whether you're talking about a, girl and a guy, a guy and a guy, a guy and a girl, a girl and a girl. This applies whether it's the guy who got cold feet or the girl who got cold feet. Respect it. It's frustrating, I realize. You really wanted to get with him and he changed his mind. If you want any chance, any hope of ever getting with him in the future, don't make him feel pressured to go through with it. Same goes for guys who find themselves in your situation. But listen, back up the show and listen to what you said again. And then pretend it was a guy saying it about a girl. And I hope you would be able to see it for how fucked up it was, pretending that it was a guy saying the very things that you said. I would hope that you would have no problem. Sometimes things come out of women's mouths that we recognize as a problem when they come out of guys' mouths, but not vice versa. We lefties and progressives and feminists, I mean, the kind of people who listen to this show, this audience. Don't mean to rough you up too badly. Glad you called. You reached out for advice and help. You didn't just go jump the guy. Good for you, but your reasoning was a little rape culture
5: Hi, Dan. I'm a 25-year-old, mostly hetero girl from the Midwest, and I have a question regarding threesomes. So, I've been having an affair with a man who I really like. He's intelligent, adventurous, um, really good-looking, and we have the kind of BS relationship I've been looking for pretty much my whole life. I've had threesomes and good sex before. Um, I've been the unicorn. I've been the girlfriend. I've been... The drunk girl who wandered into the wrong room and ended up having a really great time. So I'm pretty aware of how, how to differentiate between good and bad chemistry when it comes to groups of three or more people. So we want to arrange a threesome, and I'm really open to the idea. I'm, I'm tetral-flexible, so I know what I'm looking for in a girl. Now, the problem is he wants to arrange one with a girl I just don't like. She is boisterous and obnoxious. Physically, she's pretty, but I'm just not feeling her at all. I can't even like her enough to want to hate fuck her. Point being is this girl is not for me. Here's my question. How do I veto this girl without being a wet blanket? In a broader sense, how much veto power do I have as a non-girlfriend?
3: You have total and absolute veto power. You don't have to sleep with anyone that you don't want to sleep with unless... Unless that's a tenet of your DS arrangement, unless your DS dynamic involves you will do whatever he says whenever he says it and he gets to pick the three-way partners and that would only be a tenet of your DS dynamic if that aroused you. So even if this person wasn't somebody that you would pick or would want to sleep with, you want to sleep with him because he wants to sleep with him and you like the imposition of this person. You like – Not having a say and that turns you on. Even if that other person doesn't turn you on, the not having a say is what's in it for you and what turns you on. That isn't the case here. There's a DS dynamic in your relationship. He doesn't have absolute power or say because that doesn't turn you on. So you have veto power. I would love to have a three-way with you but that woman doesn't do it for me. I don't want to have a three-way with her. And if he has a problem with that and that is a relationship extinction level event for him, if that is such a violation of the DS dynamic that he can't continue to see you, then good riddance. Then he's the wrong affair partner and DS partner for you. There are DS relationships where whatever the D says goes. But that works in those relationships because the S, the submissive in the, in those situations, is turned on by that independent of whatever that dom says To be in a relationship where whatever the dom says goes is arousing. That's not your thing, right? If he picked her and imposed her on you, it wouldn't turn you on, the imposition. So exercise your veto. You don't have to sleep with anybody that you don't want to. Period. The end.
4: Hi, Dan. I was just listening to episode 420 where you said that a barista, it is his job to ask the customer out and not the customer start to ask him out because the customer should feel awkward and nervous about it. No, Dan, I completely disagree with you. As a former barista myself, it is not only inappropriate of someone in a uniform and an employee at work to openly flirt with a customer, but it is actually against the rules. We are not supposed to be making sexual overtures to the customers, and we've got a whole line. We can't be flirting with people. I think it is the job of the customer to ask the barista out, because the customer has absolutely nothing to lose. The customer can't get in trouble. Uh, The customer can feel guiltless about keeping the line held up. It is the barista who is not in a position where he or she is allowed to do that, they you're trying to be a professional person.
7: Hi, Dan. I'm calling in response to episode 420 um, about the woman who called who was raped in May. Um, I just wanted to thank her for reporting it. I was raped a little over a year ago at work, and I'm in an industry where I wasn't able to report it. It's a really, really small industry, and it happened at a work event. And if I had said anything, my career would have been over, and it was a horrible, horrible time. (laughs) Um, And I just think that this woman sounds so strong, and I just wanted to say to her, thank you for reporting it, because a lot of people can't, literally can't, um, and it takes time. And it's been over a year, and I'm just starting to feel normal again. Um, And keep doing what you're doing. Wait a year. You'll feel better. Thank you.
1: Hi, this is actually a comment, episode 420. I just finished listening to it. A lady was commenting on um, the dog licking and about it being dominant, and I just wanted to say that she's about 30 years behind the science with animal training and behavior. I just had to, like, shake my head. And as far as uh, Cesar Milan goes, that guy has been given a lot of flack by the American Humane association for his techniques which are pretty much just bullying and again about 30 years behind uh, the science and he's a trained hairdresser so as far as I'm concerned he's a way better hairdresser than he is a dog trainer but licking is not a big fucking deal
3: Before we wrap things up this week, wanted to let everybody know that we're doing a live taping of the Savage Lovecast at Seattle's Neptune Theater on December 5th. It's a Friday. You're going to want to be there. This one is going to be epic. The theme of this lovecast is this. Is Christmas sexy? We're going to attempt to answer that question. You know where I fall because I've talked about it year after year. But we're going to find out what some other people think. Rachel Lark will be there with some new songs. The Human Menorah will be there. Adult Baby Jesus, The Solid Gold Christmas Dancers. Monologues, questions, calls, all of it. It's going to be epic. December 5th, Seattle's Neptune Theater. Go to thestranger.com slash lovecastchristmas to order tickets. December 5th, Neptune Theater. Please be there. All right, 206-201-2720 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz, 206-201-2720. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow the brothers on Twitter at MBMBAM, or Bam, as they call it. And you can find My Brother, My Brother, and Me, the podcast, on iTunes. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Risk You, then Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week with another installment of The Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading, and we hope to see you December 5th at Seattle's Neptune Unit.